Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, I just got done perusing and and reading your MVP preview column, overview column, where you kind of show all the different candidates and their various odds, and you walk me through these different scenarios. And I've got good news for you, Andrew. Well, good news and bad news. The good news is, great read. The bad news is I'm broke because you told me to put my money on 15 different players. Like, can you ever make a decision <laughs> when you write these columns? I mean, you're telling me to throw money on all sorts of random guys. I believe you might have even said Ben Simmons deserves some money. Well, look, Ben Simmons at 100 to 1 is decent value. And I feel like, I don't know, I'm speaking from a place of ignorance here because I don't actually gamble on basketball anymore. And when I did, I gambled in the most amateur way possible perfect so i don't really know but i think that professional gamblers sort of spread the money around a little bit like they'll they'll go big on a couple guys they like as opposed to just singling out one in the field so i feel like i'm on solid ground there so like at si like i don't know exactly your site demographics like is it only read by goldman sachs employees or like are there other people (laughs) (laughs) who might have you know smaller budgets than what you're advertising because i'm pretty sure you cost me like twenty five thousand dollars if i took your advice well, listen, I no, if you hit on a good value, that's the, that's the way you make it back. Look, we're going to take you to gambling school uh, later in the podcast. Hey, I will say it takes money to make here, money. Yeah, you sound like every sleazy tout I've ever heard on the Internet. Oh, man, maybe I should get back into betting on basketball. There's money to be oh, made. Oh, great idea. <laughs> um, go under on the Pacers. I have no idea how the Pacers are at 48 wins with their over under. But that aside, I will say that Ben and I are recording this in advance because Ben is going on vacation. So we figured we would go with sort of an evergreen topic at the top and then just hit a bunch of random mailbag questions left over from the summer. I mean, it was nothing but heaters from the Open Floor Globe at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. I mean, the first half, sure, we're going to go through your column. Like, that's all well and good. But we got some really, really good questions coming up. Yeah, well, and hopefully nothing crazy happens. If it does, then maybe I can like append a solo podcast to the front of this. Uh, but no, hopefully, no, I no. feel like we're in a, a quiet phase. Well, what? You don't want me to go Colin Coward no. and host this solo? No, first of all, you don't need to do that. I, I One thing I forgot to tell you while you were gone on vacation, I have actually grafted a microphone to my arm. So <laughs> I'm always pod ready. Doesn't matter where I go, how deep off the grid I get for vacation. As long as I have a satellite phone with a signal, Andrew, I've got my microphone and computer ready to go, ready to con- converse with you. So don't even worry about that. Put your fears to bed. I'm always available because you know what they say about right. the uh, availability, right? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, it's seared into my brain for a lifetime. The greatest ability is availability and I'll be here (laughs) for you. Now, what was your real number one bet from your MVP column? I had a hard time deciphering that through all these different, uh, you know, messages that you were putting out there into the universe. Okay. So until I started looking at it, my dark horse who I, he's not even a dark horse anymore. There's no such thing as a dark horse on the NBA internet because we all just talk about this shit for 365 days a year. So 
I liked Anthony Davis's MVP chances coming into the column writing process. Until I started looking harder at all this, his odds are now down to 8-1. to one, And uh, I don't know, I would want a little bit more value there. With AD specifically, I do you... Do we penalize him for refusing to play the five and forcing the Lakers to sign Dwight Howard? What do you think? Um, I think that he is right to not want to play major minutes at the five during the regular season. I don't think we should hold him responsible for the signing of Dwight Howard. I mean, that was just a bad idea. Um, There were other centers available. So I I don't hold that against him. Uh, I just, I mean, I kind of question this MVP premise for... Anthony Davis, because I questioned the Lakers, you know, are you going to be winning enough games? Are you going to have a good enough seed in the Western Conference? Are you going to be able to stop anybody defensively to really be a serious factor in that conversation? And uh, I think that he is now in a better situation just because of LeBron than he's ever been in his Mm -hmm. career before. He's made MVP noise during his career before. I don't think that necessarily vaults him to be viewed as, you know, either the favorite or close to, you know, one of the top three favorites in the league. I think that's a little too ambitious for Anthony Davis. He still has a lot to prove to me. Yeah, it's tough. If he were at 15 to one, I would like him a lot more than at eight to one as one of the five biggest favorites on the board. Uh, That doesn't make quite as much sense to me. The Lakers in general right now, because I like I could see Anthony Davis going out and having uh, 30 and 15 or 30 and 14 season and just looking like unbelievable and the, and the Lakers winning 55 games and people pointing to his presence as the like difference maker. Uh, that seems plausible to me, but I just can't make sense of that Lakers team whatsoever. Like I, I really, the more I think about it, the more I go back and forth because look, LeBron and Anthony Davis, I think LeBron's going to have a a nice bounce back year. I think he's got one more really good season in him. And and obviously Anthony Davis is one of the six or seven or eight best players in the league. That's a big deal. And it's, it's hard to ever pick against them. But the rest of that team is just such a mess. Like, I can't wrap my head around a team that is going to be rolling with Contavious Caldwell Pope, Danny Green, who, look, Danny Green sounds great in theory, and he's very solid, but he was also not asked to do very much for the Raptors last year, and and that continued through the playoffs where, like, he was a great placeholder for them, but, like, rarely broke into double digits, and, um, and then, you know, Rajon Rondo, Alex Caruso, like, I just can't believe their rotation outside of, uh, outside of LeBron and AD. You know what else has me a little bit concerned? The sniping from Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart about the Lakers organization, about their feelings on leaving L.A. You know, it's not this uh, omerta that you might expect, right? Like this total Mm -hmm. respect for, okay, they gave us the opportunity. They drafted us. They kind of put us on the map. It was a great time. These guys are taking full-fledged swipes. Uh, at the Lakers organization. We still have a question at coaching. We still have a big question in the front office to me. There's no doubt about it. The Dwight Howard signing only underlines uh, that fact to me. You got a question with ownership, and that's pretty much all the kinds of questions that you could have. Like those are the, the really big, you know, shaky things that we've seen, you know, fall apart in the past for the Lakers. So, uh, I just am not sure there's there going to be the consistency factor from them, uh, the stability that you need um, to get one of their guys into the MVP conversation. Now, 
I, you know, I would say one exception is if LeBron does have the bounce back season that you're describing, if he decides to say, you know, forget about load management, I want to go out there and make a statement and tell everybody that, uh, you know, you forgot about Dre, basically. If he has that kind uh-huh. of season, then I could see the career achievement angle coming in and people saying, exactly. let's give it to LeBron. But past that, I don't know. So I, I guess if I'm dishing out bets, I'm saying don't bet on AD. Yeah, well, and the LeBron angle... AD could miss 10 or 15 games and LeBron could keep them afloat and that could be part of his candidacy as well. So we'll wait and see. I mean, but the Dwight signing is ultimately what tipped the scales for me because when we were talking in the middle of the summer, I was ready to buy in on the Lakers as being underrated and as on all the jokes being misplaced and sort of missing the point. But like, Bringing Dwight, I understand they needed another big man. I don't understand why you choose Dwight Howard over Joe Kim Noah. And a lot of people talk about the maturity with him. But I think the maturity, like Dwight is is so tough to handle at times that people have overlooked that his body has just never been the same after the back injury. And like, like for that reason, more than the maturity or what it could do to locker room chemistry or whatnot, like I just wouldn't want to bet on that dude at this point. Four or five other teams have already made that mistake, and I can't believe that's the direction the Lakers went. It's just so bad. I mean, it was I ripped it apart in a column and a newsletter and all that. I mean, I just think that how they got to this point, I don't get it. I understand the desperation factor and, and feeling like you're you know out of the mix, just the horrible timing with the DeMarcus Cousins injury and everything else. But I mean, the one thing you don't want when you're running spread pick and roll with LeBron and Anthony Davis is a guy who has a range of five feet camping in the paint <laughs> at all times. You can't spread him out. You can't stretch him out to the corner. You can't put him anywhere else. And he wants the ball. And he's Always tried to say the right things, made it about a week and a half, and then reverted to give me the ball on the block, which has just become less and less effective as he's gone. You look back at his track record of winning, I think he's won like one playoff series practically in the last like eight or nine years. Um, that, does, yeah. that does not bode well. And so if you're only putting him out there in like a small backup role, is taking on all of the baggage and all of the questions worth it? Like if that's your expectations from him. And to me, uh, it just doesn't square. I'm with you. I would have rather had Noah or I would have rather tried to trade whatever future draft picks they could come up with to just get like your typical, you know, minimum salary type younger uh, player. I worry about him being able to hold up, you know, stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I worry about his defensive impact. It really hasn't been there uh, in a big time way. I worry about his personality, the distraction factor. I feel so bad for Frank Vogel, man. Like already, let <laughs> can we just start the sympathy card train for Frank Vogel? I mean, what a job this guy is going to have to do. Yeah, it's really tough. Although he does have a number of built-in scapegoats and people who are going to look at the hand that he's been dealt and say, "Look, man, this isn't on you. This is a, an institutional issue." <laughs> and so there's a good chance he could be fired in 6 months. And cash out with like five to ten million dollars and nothing to do for the next few years. Did you say six months or six weeks? Hey, do you? <laughs> it could be six. Hey, weeks. do you re- do you remember when Mike Brown got fired by the Lakers and he popped up at like a Carl's Jr. with like a triple Western bacon burger like the next day and like a giant smile on his face and everyone's just like, wait a minute, like what's happening here? I never, yes. I never thought we would ever see that again. 
I mean, Frank Vogel doing that exact same playbook with his big, like, you know, fat cash out, like a month and a half into his uh, year one of his uh, of his new deal. I think I would just suggest all fast food workers across Los Angeles, just be on alert starting around <laughs> <laughs> around like Election Day, like early November, just in case a fired oh. Lakers coach just like wanders in the side door. Yeah, well, and Mike Brown has enjoyed his time. Uh, I think he he was with the Warriors, and he's had a nice little ride after that Lakers disaster. There were a couple teams where he was kind of bouncing around, and everybody was like, is this guy a good coach or not? And I think assistant life uh, has suited him really well. And it, he's been aided by that Lakers money. No, I mean, he's but, he's been through uh, a lot. I mean, the Cavaliers chapter, then obviously the Lakers chapter, Jordan Bell stealing his credit card. I mean, this guy has really seen a lot. So the, <laughs> yes, the, the, I forgot the, about that. The perseverance from Mike Brown is incredible. And I think he is a great model for Frank Vogel here as he goes forward into a very dark chapter of his career. All right. Well, this has gone in some weird directions. Uh, do you think Kyle Kuzma is good? One more Lakers question at the end here. He's fifteen hundred to one to win MVP. If anybody wants to put some money no, down see, on the, him, the thing is with this, and like you needed to put this in your column, like the Amazon's on fire, the Bahamas are upside down because of a hurricane. If you're gonna bet a single dollar on Kyle Kuzma as the <laughs> twenty twenty MVP, you need to be putting that money and your brain power to a better cause. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox here. I know you don't want me ranting and telling everybody how to live their lives, but come on, Andrew, don't do that. Yeah, you can go one for one. Bet $1 on Kuzma. You might win 1500 but then also donate $1 to the Amazon relief efforts. How about that? We don't have to be quite so preachy, uh, but <laughs> yeah, no. Here's the thing. I, I can't figure out whether Kyle Kuzma is good. I don't understand why he was the guy that they looked at as untouchable in the New Orleans talks, because like he... Anthony Davis and LeBron all seem to play the same position. And uh, and Kuzma's never been that great of a shooter. Basically, like, he started out his career in L.A. with two amazing months, and he's been kind of riding high off of that hype ever since. It's always dangerous when I get into pop culture territory. So, you know, reel me back in here in a second. But Kuzma, to me, is like a character on that TV show, Succession. I don't know if you watched that, where, like, Basically, it's about the four really rich kids who are trying to take over the company from their dad. And they're mm-hmm. all just horrible at business, right? Like, they're not good at business. <laughs> but they're like they're all pretty good at just, like, you know, the behind-the-scenes maneuverings and, like, kind of elbowing each other out of the way for, like, to get in their dad's good graces. Kuzma, yeah. I, okay, I think he's pretty good. I'm not going to say he's good or very good on the court. But I think he his real skill is, like, that backroom, like you know, bust family style politicking where like, (laughs) I'm going to go, you know, put in like six straight weeks at the Mamba Sports Academy as a camp counselor to get on Kobe's good side, right? I'm going to do every local commercial. I'm going to get a funny haircut and post funny Jinko jeans on Instagram. I'm going to be close with the owner. I'm going to be like Captain Pro Laker through all the tough times. I think he's actually navigated the kind of the snake pit that the Lakers can be sometimes brilliantly. Right. I mean, if you look at all the other talent that's gone out, he's the sole survivor. So I'm just saying Kyle Kuzma for succession. I don't know who I would compare him to, whether it's he's not really Kendall. 
I mean, maybe he's Shiv. I don't know, but somebody yeah. maybe gets some emails on that. I think Shiv is the most competent of any of them, and I will say Succession is one of the best shows I've ever seen, and comparing Kuzma to a character on Succession is one of the meanest things you've ever done. <laughs> Why? But, I think it's pretty uh, accurate. I'm just saying he knows how to play the game. He's street smart. Like I think he's got a little, you know... Like, there's politics involved. I think he understands that. I just think basketball fit-wise, it's a weird fit. Like, AD wants to play four. LeBron's basically a four that they're going to call one. Kyle Kuzma's a four. Yeah. He definitely can't be a five. He definitely can't be a three. Uh, so that not ideal roster building from, uh, you know, the front office. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Uh, but it's going to be fun to watch because – I truly have no idea what direction we're going with them. All right, Wait, so on. Clippers, though. Real quick, who's your favorite kid on Succession of the four? Um, Honestly, the one who makes me laugh most consistently is Connor Roy, <laughs> the one who's running for president, <laughs> because literally everything he says makes me laugh out loud. Remember at the end of season one, he talked about starting a podcast? Oh yeah, for sure. And then, well, he like runs for president and he announces it on Instagram. It's like, there's, are there parallels between me and Connor Roy? That's the real question. Like <laughs> he lives out in New Mexico. We, like I, I got some Connor Roy vibe to me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And, and I think his significant other, the former prostitute, she may be one of the only redeeming characters on the show. It's, it's like her and cousin Greg, we could go through and have like a detailed we need to come up with comps for like cousin Greg, everyone else on Succession at some point uh, over the course of the season. Well, but yeah, I'll tell you right now, they got Tom on the Lakers roster. His name's Dwight Howard. Oh man, I I just don't know what ha- I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, I was I was so excited to be like pro Lakers guy this year, and I can't. Did you see Dwight's hair the other day? Of course, I mean, of course, I saw Dwight Howard's hair. I'm just picturing. Like Tom walking into like uh, you know Logan Roy's office and being like, "Hey man, you know, I'm I'm all about uh, the actions, okay? I'm not, it's not about judging me on my words anymore. I'm all about the. <laughs> like, you can see it, like you can see everything that Dwight Howard said at his introductory press conference. You can see Tom just like snivelly saying to his bosses to try to like finally get anybody to like him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom is also actually probably one of my favorite characters because he's <laughs> another one who's batting close to a thousand on succession uh but we digress so let's keep it in la the clippers guys Kawhi, obviously paul george at 20 to 1 i don't understand why his odds are that good i would have put him closer to like 50 to 1 but is it um, just reactive because he finished so high last year like is that it might be just where like you know you're coming off a season where he was a legit mvp candidate and the other guys have now won it so if you're just trying to like you know play the carryover card it's like well Giannis has got his harden's got his so now it's paul george's turn but i was with what you said in your column i thought you you hit it on there's a big question about when he comes back and then you have this balance between him and Kawhi. it's not gonna be paul george's team in la yeah exactly i mean that that's the main thing is like he may not be back for the first month of the season, and then when he does come back, he's going to have to sort of take a secondary role, whereas he was the guy for most of the season last year in Oklahoma City. So it'll be a little bit of a different year for him. Kawhi at 8-1, to one, though, I'm interested in how often he plays uh, for the Clippers versus how often he played last year for Toronto. I, If I were the Clippers, I would be pushing him to rest more but it does sound like he is interested in playing. Like he, he had that quote where he wants to play the full season. Somebody asked him about playing 82 games. Like, 
What do you think we're going to see from him schedule-wise? I mean, I, I think the best-case scenario is that he tries to play all 82 and he's just, like, healthy because then that kind of makes the entire Toronto experience, like, that much funnier. <laughs> like, if he delivers the title in his one year there and he seriously just took a quarter of the season off just because, I mean, that, like, does kind of elevate him into this cult hero, like, just sort of hilarious, uh, you know, single-man grouping. There's, like, no other comparison for it. Um, yeah. To, to be honest, I still feel like Kawhi's got stuff to prove right now. You know, and uh, he he makes a, a decision that everybody seemed to get behind pretty quickly. But that's a big league altering decision. Like guys usually don't like go you know cross country to a, a franchise that's never won anything, and then just get to chill and like oh you know everything's cool. You're gonna go under the radar. Like I feel there's some serious backlash potential for the Clippers if they don't work. I'm the first one to say I think it's going to work uh, to me that they should be the title favorites. But if it doesn't, I mean Kawhi is gonna be. I think in line for the type of criticism that he's never faced in his career. And I do think that puts a certain level of uh, onus on him to step up and to play like an MVP. But I'm with you. I don't think that they're going to push it that hard. I mean, if he plays 70, that seems reasonable to me where it's like not qu- yeah. not quite as lazy as last year, but you know, still managed to a certain degree. Yeah, it's funny because as I was thinking through his MVP possibilities, uh, obviously, like he's the easiest one to dismiss because of the load management. Like nobody's gonna win MVP playing fifty-five or sixty games. But uh, I really think that the idea of him being like, "Oh no, that that was a Toronto thing." Like I'm gonna play seventy-five games this year would be kind of hilarious, and I could see him going closer to that side of the spectrum than um, last year's like Uber rest policy. So. We'll see how it how it shakes out with him, but I mean, the main thing with Kawhi is he's gonna have to prove it in the playoffs, and that's why I I don't really think he cares about the MVP. Like I don't think he's wired that way, and that's why I wouldn't bet on him. At the same time, it would be pretty awesome of him if he just decided he did care. It's like do it for the do it for SoCal. I'm back. <laughs> I bought he bought a yeah. he bought a million backpacks for every kid in the city. You know, like as their initial statement. Yeah. Which, if you really think about, like, what's the cheapest you could manufacture a backpack for? You know, it's got to be at um, least like five dollars to like design it, build it, bring it over. I mean, that's not like a ninety nine cent item, right? So that's a huge investment. A million backpacks, like Balmer does it again Kawhi does it again um yeah but I'm just saying if if he has that same kind of backpack (laughs) statement mentality where he's just like you know what this is my league uh I'm home I'm gonna do it for the city that would be pretty cool I I don't anticipate it but it would be pretty awesome and usually we've been pretty bad at guessing what Kawhi would do so maybe we shouldn't put it past him yeah well and for a second there I thought you were about to knock his backpack giveaway (laughs) (laughs) no I thought (laughs) Um, think about it a million backpacks like even people who invest a lot of money in community service will like settle for like five thousand backpacks that's a lot of backpacks but when you when you asked me like how much does it cost to produce a backpack i thought you were gonna say like uh, what like 30 cents and we're supposed to be impressed no 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 (laughs) completely the other direction i mean think about what's the buy-in price if you're sitting around a boardroom hey i want (laughs) to i want to give away a million backpacks like yeah. you're talking a big investment. That's all I'm saying. At least five million dollars, probably. No, I I will have to check the numbers at some point. Oh. I think you could probably make a backpack for cheaper than you th- realize. 
However, I'm just grateful that you didn't leave me in the position of like having to defend your <laughs> anti-backpack giveaway take. So I Look. think I'm just going to call this a win and keep it moving. I've got some heaters, um, but I'm not going to be uh, knocking a guy for cheap backpack giveaways. But think about a million backpacks. That's an entire boat that you're bringing over, probably from China. That's just only your yep. backpacks. I mean, that's not. I'm just, this is a big investment. That's all I'm saying. There's no way to do that cheaply. No, it's very cool. And in all seriousness, uh, it is really cool how active the Clippers have been building out courts, community centers, like that's a very good thing. And, um, and it's like, you can look at it as marketing, but it's also like the Clippers are just really active in the community. And, uh, it's been cool to watch Balmer spend his money that way. Elsewhere on the list though, what about Damian Lillard at 25 to one? I mean, you're trying to tell me, oh, I know how to hand out great value, this great value, this. That sounds like great value to me. I mean, yeah, right. I think he should be Top four or five MVP candidate basically every year at this point. I don't think he's a top four or five player, but when you look at the load, the consistency, his track record of delivering a winner, um, I think what would scare me is that there is a possibility for a regression there um, where yeah. you know, you're coming off of basically a dream season. Things really broke right for them in the playoffs uh, despite some tough injuries. You know, They've got a lot of changes around him. But when you're saying who is a workhorse who could put a team on his back in, in sort of like almost poor man James Harden's fashion, uh, and who can deliver victories consistently. And if you're looking at a Western Conference where, you know, we're not expecting one team to really break out and be like a 60-plus win team, I think Damian would get some momentum in that conversation. I just think 25-1 to 1 sounds pretty good to me. I don't know. I, I'm not putting any money on this, you know, to be clear. I, I don't gamble. Uh, you know, I'm certainly trying to yes. you know, save you from your worst impulses as well. But that one sounds pretty good. Yeah, well, the thing is, I'm I'm down on the Blazers, but if they somehow succeed again this year, because that, like people have been doubting them for a few seasons now, there's going to be no way to explain it but Dame being amazing. So, twenty-five to one seems like real good value for him. But let's go to the favorites. Do you think Giannis is going to win again? I've been seeing a little bit of back-to-back Giannis MVP talk, and I've got to say I love it. Um, of course, I do. Uh, would I predict him to win again? That one's tricky too, because a lot broke properly for them last year in terms of their yeah. their win total, the narrative. I know James Harden kind of called out the media for building the narrative early in the season and running with it. Um, I think there is some truth to that. You know, he became an easy guy to kind of rally around the way he was doing it. The fact that he's a two way player, the fact that he has the highlight real plays, the fact that he was taking a team somewhere that it had, had not been in decades. I mean, all that stuff was really, really juicy for voters. Um, yeah. What's really stopping Giannis at this point? Like, who in the Eastern Conference is guarding him, first of all? Uh, I mean, to me, the biggest threat to Giannis is Bud, you know, and I'm going to just keep being well, over the top, crushing Bud on the minute stuff until we really get him <laughs> unleashed in the playoffs. But even if you limit Giannis to 30 minutes a night, he's going to be putting up absolutely ins- insane statistics. You look at offensive and defensive impact. It's excellent. Like he's in the yeah. conversation for MVP and defensive player of the year. First team all NBA, first team def- uh, you know, defense. I mean, all this stuff. And he's in his prime. And the dude is not a settler. This is what we know about Giannis. Like he doesn't respond to the most heartbreaking defeat of his entire career in the Eastern Conference Finals by moping 
and you know you know oh well maybe i'll uh no. just like you know go inside and you know turn off all the lights for a month no he's leading greece in the FIBA world cup and he's trying to uh you know spend all summer on this world tour to like spread the joy of basketball and show that he's become a better player a better person right so yeah i would be worried as the rest of the nba about what Kawhi Leonard's performance in the Eastern Conference Finals has done to Giannis. Like, I think that really stoked a, a fire in him. His quotes have all been especially badass. Like, he's saying everything you would want Giannis to say. I think, it, like, coming into this, to go back to where I began, like, I thought maybe Anthony Davis would have been, like, my dark horse pick, in large part because I thought picking Giannis would be really boring. But also, I just didn't think that he could win back-to-back because I didn't realize how frequently that has happened over the last 20 years or so. Like, if you go back and look at the winners since the year 2000, I believe that there have been five back-to-back winners and then eight kind of one-off winners. Um, there's, you had LeBron did it twice, Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, uh, Steph Curry. So it's not like it's rare. and uh, And I think... The reason I I would pick him is because he's just going to put up insane numbers and his value to that Bucks team is so obvious and self-explanatory that like the case sort of writes itself. Yeah, and the conference is so weak that they, you know, it's all set up. It's all on a table for them. I mean, there's really nobody there who can even touch him at this point. Um is there a sense though if you were actually betting that last year was the year to do it so like are you getting in on a late like is it as fun to be cheering for Giannis this year as a gambler uh you'd have to explain that one to me because I don't know the dynamics no I mean I, the the odds he's plus 250 which isn't great two and a half to one but uh but it, it I think that like the fun factor probably doesn't really matter to gamblers as much but he's definitely. I worry about the playoff question hanging over a lot of what the Bucks do during the regular season. So there's definitely going to be fewer thrills in like the middle of January as they rip off seven straight wins and look unbeatable. So gambling aside, that's that's the one thing that's going to nag at me. And you mentioned Bud and and nobody else being able to stop him. I I am really really curious how Giannis will match up against that Sixers front line because he's had success against Joel Embiid. He's had more success against Horford than we probably acknowledged or I probably acknowledged at points when I was looking at how he matched up against the Celtics. Like He basically solved Horford halfway through that series and then it was over. So it's not that either one of them are going to be are going to have like a real advantage over Giannis, but there's just no other team in the league that's going to have that much size to be able to throw at him. So I'm going to just do this. I hate doing it, but I'm just going to re- reheat a take that I had while you were gone because I need to get your feedback on it. Um, okay. I'm so upset about Bud just because... I really do feel like they left that series on the table. I think that it was very easy for us when they lose the four straight games uh, to say, oh, like just crown Toronto. Oh, you know, they were going to win no matter what. I don't think that's true. And the thing that I just uh, consistently go back to is Giannis is off the court for tons and tons of times during the playoffs. And granted, you know, they, they swept through, you know, Detroit like early in their run, but he averaged 34 minutes per game during the playoffs at age 24 
when Mike was 24, mm-hmm. do you know how many minutes per game Mike played in the playoffs Ooh. when he was 24? 42.7. Okay. I would have said 45, but <laughs> 42.7 is solid. 42.7. That's where Giannis needs to be, okay? And actually, let's even raise the bar. Giannis should be playing 46 minutes a game in the playoffs this year, in my opinion. Now, some of this is going to be a negotiation. Maybe we can settle on like 41, but... If, if Bud does not get that through his head, I'm coming for him this year, Andrew. Time after time after time after time. The gloves are off. Uh, this is the takeover moment of Giannis's career. You're talking about that uh, back-to-back MVPs happen you know, somewhat uh, frequently, but not every year. They happen yeah. during the prime moments of incredibly great players' careers, right? LeBron, yes. who you mentioned. Steph Curry, who you mentioned. You have to capitalize on those years with rings. You know, you don't want to be looking back and saying, yeah, he got back-to-back MVPs, but he went out in the Eastern Conference Finals twice in a row. So, Bud, you went from a friend to an adversary over the summer. Um, and, you know, <laughs> get on board with Giannis Inc. this year. Yeah, well, I certainly agree with where you're coming from on that one. And it's going to drive me crazy for the, the the next like 25 years probably <laughs> because it just it's really really frustrating because the door was wide open and I don't know if that's still going to be true this year my my concerns go beyond bud when you look at that bucks team because I think that Middleton just wasn't good enough in the Eastern Conference Finals and his athleticism is is really pretty pedestrian and um, it's kind of shocking considering how productive he can be but uh, I worry about the help around him and he's just gonna have to be superhuman to make it work in the playoffs but I'm with you that like right now this sort of feels like LeBron in 2008 and 2009 and that's why I think Giannis is not only a favorite but he's who I would pick to win it. You know, another thing that we talked about the last couple of weeks was accountability, like going back over some of our analysis and trying to like improve it or hone it. The Nikola mm-hmm. Miritich experience is very ripe for accountability on our end because I was really, really excited at the trade deadline when they traded four second round picks for Miritich. Yep. And what did they wind up getting from him? Well, a grand total of 14 appearances, 320 minutes during the regular season, and then he just fled for Spain. So, I mean, more power to him. I'm sure he got a nice cash out, but that's tough, man. And like, we were, you know, we were pretty high on John Horace, everything he was doing there for like 18 months, or at least I was, I don't want to speak for you. I think you were too, though, at times. Uh, there's been a couple of, of uh, sequences which may wind up handcuffing Giannis a little bit. Exactly. And you could go through and look at some of the more granular moves that they've made and... uh I don't know. There are, there are a couple head scratchers in there over the last few years. They should have been playing DJ Wilson more during the season last year. This is there's like a section of Bucks Twitter. Shout out Ben Thompson who have been like beating these drums whether it's questioning Horse or playing DJ Wilson or Bud's minutes distribution, but all of this stuff is going to continue to be relevant because I do think Giannis is probably the best player in the league right now and uh, and so all these marginal questions matter a, a ton as he tries to figure out what his future is going to be yeah so at the same time though, all of that at the same time when we watch him play for Greece and like they don't really know how to use him or like build around him it does make me really glad that he at least had that run with Horst and Bud like just some base level of confidence though it wasn't the Jason Kidd experience just ad nauseum 
uh, because it's so painful to watch. That's true. It's, so, it's a great point. Isn't it painful to watch his talents like just kind of get squandered or go to waste a little bit? Uh, and yeah, we, we got to see it, uh, you know, unleashed last year. And I think we're going to see it unleashed again. I think he's a, a, if he didn't finish top two in MVP next year, I would be surprised. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. All right. Well, moving on quickly, is there anybody else on the board that caught your eye? Um, I liked your write-up on Jokic. I mean, walk us through that one. See, Jokic is the guy who really surprised me as I as I was thinking through it. It's like it to me. It's either Giannis or Jokic this year. Jokic, his his value to Denver has all always been it's similar to Giannis, like kind of self-explanatory. Like he gives that team a much higher floor than they would ever have without him. But I also think that like. We've been looking at him in this sort of, rather than the first team all NBA tier, I understand he made first team, but we were looking at him as like either the 10th or 15th best player in the league. And he may have a higher ceiling than that. And and we may need to start thinking about him in the same ways that we thought about Dirk at his peak as just like an amazing player who doesn't really fit any archetype of the last 30 years of basketball, but is just so insanely valuable offensively that he makes his team a contender every single year. And I think number one, that may be true about Jokic. uh, But number two, a crazy season would lead to that sort of league wide awakening. And that would maybe come with an MVP. And so at 13 to one, I really like his odds as sort of like a long shot to to just go and win it this year because Denver, like the West is wide open. The Nuggets can go win 55 or 60 games and win the West and uh, and so, sort of like own the regular season. I think the playoffs are a separate question, but uh, I believe in what Denver can do in the regular season. Yeah, he's had underrated durability throughout his career too. I think he's, you know, never missed 10 games in a season out of his four years. Um, they've managed his minutes, you know, quite a bit, still puts up great numbers. I think he showed during the playoffs some layers as an individual scorer um, and some comfort getting his own that maybe people were questioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely, you know, stepped forward and showed he could be a number one scoring option when they needed it. To me, the player who I come back when I think about Jokic time and time again, man, it's John Stockton. Like, I, I think of this guy in terms of his passing ability, his playmaking, his deafness, his feel on offense how he makes his teammates better, how he basically guarantees that you're always going to be good, um, you know, and always competitive night after night after night. That's the guy I think of. And I mean, clearly different body types, right? <laughs> but, a little, but like, 
Well, you know, I, I hold. I also the reason I mentioned Dirk is because Dirk. Everyone thinks of Dirk and is like, God, it was fun to watch him play, and that's how Jokic should be. And, and they also think of Dirk as like an MVP, real elite player. Stockton is the most boring comp you could possibly throw out there. We're trying to market Jokic to the masses here. We have to do better than John Stockton. No, I mean, you need to do better on John Stockton because that's a horrible take. (laughs) I think John Stockton is the most underrated player in basketball history. I probably said that one before. One of the guys who I respect more than, I mean, outside of Mike, my career level respect for John Stockton might be higher than any other player. I got to be careful. I got to, you know, whenever I do these things off the cuff, but he's top five for sure. And it's, it's so on brand for you that it's borderline parody, but continue. I just am comparing him to John Stockton as the ultimate sign of respect. That's all I'm saying. He brings a lot of the same kinds of qualities. And last year it was crazy. Do you know who led the league in touches last year? Nikola Jokic. I mean, as a center, wow. a seven-footer, he had the ball in his hands more than anybody. His average tough t- touch time was less than two seconds. So that just tells you how they keep the ball moving, how he's just kind of orchestrating. In one of my recent columns, I compared him to like the office manager, like the overworked office manager who just has her your fingers or hit her or his fingers in every aspect of the business where it's just like everything runs through them. I mean, that's sort of what Jokic does. Uh, it's very unusual. I think people did finally start to catch on last year. And this is something that we've kind of banged the drum about with Giannis in the past too. There's a tipping point, right? Like, you know, we, we get in early with some of these guys and then all of a sudden the the crowd, you know, runs over and, and gets on board. I think Jokic could be in, a, in for a similar wave there where it's not like a lot of people are watching their games consistently, but now he starts to get the credit from the basketball intelligentsia because he's had some postseason success because he's shown that he can do it night after night after night because there's not a really a good answer for him. And there's not a really a good, you know, positional comp for him either. Uh, I mean, people used to want to say, oh, he's like Arvidas Sabonis, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this guy's putting up bigger numbers than Sabas did in the NBA. Uh, you know, he, Clearly, he's doing it at a much younger age than Sabonis. I mean, if you want to use the Bill Walton comp or whatever, like this guy's passing skills are on a different level. Uh, It's basically unprecedented. So uh, I think that that message is getting through to more people, and that should help him when it comes to the award voting stuff uh, next summer. And I also think it it helps him that he's also like an advanced stat darling. You know, like he just grades out really well by the dorky advanced stats. And when it comes time for voting, uh, you know, the kinds of guy, you know, dorks like you, uh, you know, kind of rally around some of the numbers and and realize, okay, we got to <laughs> give these guys credit. Yeah, you know me, man. I'm just living in the numbers. Uh, Look, I'm just speaking of numbers. I'm though, just jealous. I don't get a vote anymore. His his numbers in the playoffs. I didn't realize this until like July. I think somebody mentioned it or whatever. I went and looked up his numbers. Twenty five, thirteen, and eight is fucking insane for your first time in the playoffs he had 14 playoff games uh, like he's just really 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 good and um i can't wait to see what he does this year i think his mvp candidacy if you want to like tether this to those odds and and i guess the topic of this podcast like that's going to depend on denver's team success and i think their ceiling will depend on how steady Jamal Murray can be. Um, but I mean, 55 or 60 wins is on the table for them. And I think if they hit that upper 50s territory, 
he's going to be like squarely in the mix. I feel like he and Giannis are the two guys who are guaranteed to be in the top five of MVP voting. For sure. So sorry, Elizabeth, for that outburst from him, but it was warranted. <laughs> it was absolutely warranted. We don't even need to bleep it you know, out. He was insane during the playoffs, and I was you know, there every step of the way kind of tooting his horn. Um, and he blew past my expectations for him. You know, I thought he was going to uh, be more of a postseason player than people were giving him credit for heading into that playoff run. Um, and I mean, man, like it, it was just a tour de force really in both series. He had lots and lots of really big time moments, answered basically every question that uh, people had about him. And I, now he's in a situation where maybe he doesn't get stretched quite as much because Golden State's, uh, you know, death lineup doesn't really exist anymore. Like who's who's playing small ball style to pull him off the court? I mean, maybe Houston, but now you've got Russell Westbrook yep. in that situation where he's kind of screwing up their spacing. Um, to me, he looks like a guy who can stay on the court against anybody. Yeah, I, I hope that's right. That's my biggest question with him going forward is he, you know, can he hang against Houston if they match up with them in the playoffs? Can the Warriors with Steph and Clay? just like tear Denver's defense to shreds. And and he's taken more blame for that. Um, but I do, like, I, it would have been different if they had been matched up with the Rockets in the first round last year, and we wouldn't be having the same conversations about how he looked in the playoffs. And so I, that's sort of less relevant to what is possible for Denver in the regular season. But, it, I mean, that's the number one question if you're looking at, like, what the next 10 years of Jokic could look like and, and exactly how great he could be. It's going to depend on on his ability to hang in there with those small ball teams because I don't think that's going to go away. Like Even if the Warriors are now mortal without KD, I still think that they're going to be able to spread teams out and make guys like Jokic really uncomfortable. But I think that he may be able to hang in there. Like He doesn't have to be amazing. He just has to be half decent and and not like, uh, a fatal flaw. Absolutely. Hey, I have a personal question for you. Uh, you know, as a pickup basketball player, like I know you've got NBA potential in, in your, uh, you know, in your, your background as a player, would you rather play with James Harden? <laughs> would you rather play with James Harden or Nikola Jokic? Definitely Jokic. Are you kidding me? Well, actually, I don't know. If you're asking me specifically, of course, I'm at, as I said, a personal now, look, question. Okay, so tell me, about, okay. you're kind of a gunner, but you're doing most of your damage from the three point arc. You're not playing very hard defense, am I right? Yeah, not playing very hard defense, and also, I mean, in my like active pickup life, I will get winded, and <laughs> I like the, the idea of just putting your hands on your shorts and like. Being open wait, wait, for a spot up three, look. not having to run too much on offense. So out of sheer laziness, you're going to pick Harden because you want to do the job that all these other NBA players hate doing, which is just watching him dribble for 15 seconds every possession. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, look, you asked me a question. I'm just trying to answer <laughs> as honestly as possible. Okay, okay. Let me and let me reframe. Here's the thing. I'm actually I'm in better shape now than I was like at my at the peak of my pickup basketball career cuz now I just run every day and I don't I don't play as I don't play pickup as often as I used to. Uh, but when I did play pickup, I was out of shape and definitely would have been in for the uh, Rockets offense. Listen to this. Humble brag city, city boy summer. I love it. All right. Uh, <laughs> so you're in great shape. You want to play with Jokic over Harden, right? I mean, let's be real. 
Like, yeah. all jokes aside, well, your mind went first to Jokic, then you started to think about your own insecurities, and we can kind of put that to the side. Like, in an ideal world, <laughs> most basketball players would want to play with... This is the thing. This is the thing. An out-of-shape college kid or mid-20s person may fare better in the Harden offense, but a professional basketball player among the 300 to 600 potential NBA players... Everybody out there would rather play with Jokic and would be much happier playing with Jokic. And I think that's some of the story that will be told this year. Look, so that rhetorical question to you was a very long and convoluted windup to me saying that's what people are going to be arguing on Jokic's behalf come March and April. And that is pretty darn convincing to me. Don't you think? Because when you're starting to like break down stats and everything else, I mean, if Harden's averaging 30 plus leading the league and scoring again, but you have this other guy over here who's winning big, who's making all of his teammates better, who's leading a top three offense uh, or whatever else is possible for Denver. I think there's a lot of narrative juice behind that idea. I could see a lot of people rallying around that. Yeah, um, I'm with you, man. Uh, All right. So that's enough on MVP, I think. We don't necessarily need to dig into Steph Curry at five to one, James Harden at eight to one, and beat at twelve to one. I like a lot. I just don't think he's gonna play enough games to really like sustain uh, MVP candidacy for six or seven months. But um, with that, let's keep it moving to a couple random questions at the end here. First from Bandito, he says, You mentioned on a recent pod with Rob Mahoney that not even the termites predicted Siakam's rise. Check out this message from exactly a year ago. This is definitely termite homerism, Bandito says, but look out for Siakam as a breakout player. Obviously not all-star level, but one of the league's more envied assets, sort of like Ibaka during the OKC days. Um, what's your response to this, Ben? Well, first of all, Bandito, thank you for you know coming correct with the receipts. I really appreciate that. You'll just remember <laughs> that I said that the termites, you know, plural, didn't predict that. You are one termite, and you did predict it. So I'm going to give you credit, but I think my larger point stands. Uh, Siakam even blew away internal expectations. He certainly blew away my expectations, largely because of the age factor. Like he's older than people realize. And so even though he's early in his career and he had that big breakout winning most improved player and all of that, um, he's still probably closer to his peak um, than maybe people Mm -hmm. understood last year, um, just based on the age curve. Now, that being said, I'm going to try to double back because you've been away from the computer, you know, for a month. You've had time to just relax and, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. I'm in on... Pascal Inc. Okay, I like the not only wow. not only his game, uh, but you know he, you know how every single person in the Raptors has their own clothing line. I actually think he's got a really good logo. Uh, he does a nice job presenting it during post game podiums. You know he's always very front and center with it. I think this guy's heading for another you know big leap forward. I think he's going to make the All Star team next season, even though he might not be as uh, efficient of an offensive player. Just with the increased burden, I think he's going to have a you know, a bigger role and more attention. And I'm just curious, are you ready to hop on with Pascal or are you still kind of a Pascal doubter? Well, first of all, my response to Bandito here would be that Raptors fans, termites, if you will, have been, you know, singing the praises of like 15 different guys to us over the last 
four Bruno, years. Bruno, Bruno Caboclo. Yeah, Bruno, Kyle Lowry deserves first team All-NBA consideration. Look at the advanced numbers. Like, I just, we have not been able to trust Raptors fans for 10 different reasons over the, over the years. Never did, so, still don't. Siakam, yeah, people were selling us on Siakam. We just happened to group them in with the same people trying to sell us on DeMar DeRozan as a three-point shooter. So with apologies, you guys cost yourselves on that one. Uh, <laughs> charge it, that being said, charge it to the game, Andrew says. <laughs> yeah, charge it to the game. That being said, I'm in on Siakam if we're th- talking about like what his production will look like during the regular season next year. I wouldn't go much further than that. I think you're right that he'll make the all-star team. Is he a guy that you can really like build around and and try to like anchor the new era with? Not sure he's ever going to be that guy. I think he's probably like maybe the third best player on a title team at his peak. I, I wouldn't put him as number two or, or certainly not number one. So it, I don't know whether that makes me a hater or a believer. I think he's going to be good, but not as good as I guess the Raptors fans might want him to be. I don't know. No, I think that's a really balanced and really intelligent thing. One other thing I would add, though, is like uh, Bandito brought up the comparison to Ibaka. And if you're imagining like uh, a Siakam-led Raptors team, whether that's this year or in the future once Lowry, you know, goes whatever way he's going to go and once guys like Ibaka and Gasol kind of age out, right? I do feel like a Siakam-led Raptors team is a lot more interesting and rich of an experience than like the Ibaka led magic teams. You know what I mean? Because when we're trying to say, okay, how good can Siakam be a number one guy, number two guy, number three guy, what we learned from the Ibaka experience was like, he was an incredible number three guy, but as a number one guy, it was just like dead on arrival. Not only did it not work, but it was like very, very difficult to watch or pay attention to. Right. I do feel like Siakam, whether or not it would be, all that more effective if he was a number one guy. I do think it would be a, a more interesting experience and a better watch. Uh, but I agree with you that like ultimately his ceiling is as like a really, really good number two guy. Yeah, I'm with you. Siakam is solid, but not quite transcendent star that you build the whole organization around. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how Masai builds these next steps. So I don't know. We'll wait and see. But keeping it moving because we've already gone long here. Seven says, even Shaq agrees with Ben in the debate with Sharp, and he includes a graphic of Shaq tweeting, I'm cool with it, on a list that has Duncan at eight and Shaq at nine on all-time player rankings. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. I like Shaq, I, he just doesn't really care about stuff like that. That's part of his charm. I do think he's the most underappreciated player of the last 40 years. And if you ever watch them go head to head, like Shaq was just unstoppable and hit levels that Duncan never approached. But uh, so Wait. yeah, Shaq is wrong if Shaq is cool with this. Did, did those levels include titles? Because I feel like Duncan hit some levels maybe with five rings that Shaq never quite got to. But uh, <laughs> no, it's what's funny that you point that out. Shaq is either yeah. completely petty when it comes to this or completely deferential when it comes to this, right? Like if it's a comparison with Kobe or a comparison with Dwight Howard, Shaq is going to the wall to make it a debate. Now, if it's a comparison with Tim Duncan or like Akeem Olajuwon 
or Bill Russell or like any of these other uh, centers that Shaq has like just convinced himself that he reveres, then it's like he becomes like the most disengaged, like, oh, whatever you guys think, you know, like he just backs off. <laughs> it's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing from Shaq. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's pretty bizarre. I also missed your, your conversation about Shaq and Kobe that you had with Rob. I mean, Shaq is clearly better than Kobe. And, um, and again, it just, it seems like blasphemy to even like have the debate between those two guys. And, and Kobe is in the top 15 himself, but like Shaq at, at his peak was just so, so, so dominant. And I almost wish he hadn't played the like final four or five years where he was just lumbering around in Phoenix and Cleveland and Boston because it, it sort of like, he should be remembered as as a league wrecking force. You know, look, you could say a lot of nice things about Kobe. You could say even more nice things about Shaq, but you can always say even more nice things about Tim Duncan. We can agree. Oh my God, Duncan gets bonus points in all these discussions simply because he stayed in shape and was efficient until his in until his like twentieth season. But he was never as dominant. And those Spurs teams, I just, we don't need to get into this. <laughs> how good did it feel will, five minutes ago when you were bragging about your incredible physique and how you're just, you know, city boy summering it up and just in great, you know, in great condition? Yeah. Imagine doing that for 20 straight summers, Andrew. That's that's Tim Duncan. Uh, I will say this. I want to introduce an additional point of evidence. <laughs> I saw earlier on Twitter, I saw that Kevin Durant was asked, who's your best power forward of all time? And he answered, 1A, Kevin Garnett, 1B, Tim Duncan. Ugh. I introduced that strictly to, to prove that we shouldn't look to players as the definitive arbiters on any of these questions, even if they're arbitrating an uh, an argument in which they're the centerpiece. <laughs> so Shaq, Katie. None of them have like the final answer on this one. Sometimes I feel like Kevin's just personally trolling me. I think I at one point I did say <laughs> I had a better Instagram account than he does. I think I, I might have actually said that, unfortunately, on this podcast maybe like three months ago. And I don't know if this is part of like a long range uh, retaliation um, by him. But considering yeah. how he views Kyrie, considering this the lack of any conversation between Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett, uh, you know, considering some of his other basketball takes, like the Devin Booker pickup game take, I mean, I just I don't understand how a player whose game I respect so much can have so many basketball takes that I just sort of I feel like I'm on the opposite end of a Stephen A. argument every time I hear what he says. It's like you get that like mm-hmm. bell ringing in your head where like you want to start screaming back. That's how I feel. Yeah, no, it's it's been great to watch. He's coming at every single tenet of the Ben Golliver basketball religion. It's like he's going through page by page <laughs> everything you've ever written or believed. Yeah, you know he's what I just, lighting it on you fire. You know what I just thought? <laughs> he definitely thinks Kyrie Irving's better than John Stockton, and that kills me. But there's no question in my oh, mind, yeah. don't you think? If you said you have a choice right now all time, don't you think he'd take Kyrie? One million percent. He also definitely thinks that Kyrie Irving is better than Steph Curry, which is his own <laughs> form of blasphemy. But it is what it is. Um, good old, good old role player KD. I actually, I can't wait till he comes back to the NBA. But that's actually a good segue to another question here. Uh, Adam says. The shock of Andrew Luck retiring from the NFL has worn off, and now I can't help but think 
Who is the next shocking retirement from the sports world and specifically the NBA? So the NBA, most superstars enjoy significantly more longevity than anyone in the NFL, except Tom Brady, uh, who is not really human at this point. But the here's my answer. Kyrie Irving is definitely going to just walk away out of nowhere like three or four years from now. At some point, Kyrie is just going to walk away without a word. Yeah, you've, you've floated this concept before. Um, is this based on health? Is it based on mentality? Is it based on both? Um, what What is um, this is a pretty drastic step you're describing. You know, that's a lot of money for Kyrie to be leaving. <laughs> what, what, what do you? It is a lot of money. There's no question about that. It, it's based on Kyrie, like in several interviews, extolling the virtues of nature and like self-sustaining communities. And he just seems like the type of dude who would do it in part because he wanted to, and in part because he's been trying to cultivate this air of mystery around him for several years now and this would fit with that image that he's cultivating for himself kind of like leaving his fans wanting more so it maybe would be almost more like a barry sanders than an andrew luck yeah i i think so i mean the, the luck thing is tricky because he like it's it's clearly a good decision for him he's made a lot of money and his body was screwed up year after year after year it would be a lot weirder for Kyrie to walk away from another $100 million or $200 million contract. But I think he could be every bit weird enough to do it. Look, I, I'm going into super dangerous territory with two pop culture references on one episode. But we had breaking news while we were recording this episode that Nicki Minaj has decided to retire to settle down and, wow. and start a family. What is a bigger retirement, Andrew Luck or Nicki Minaj? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the luck thing is one of the crazier sports stories I can remember over the last four or five years. But Nicki Minaj Um, is definitely better at her craft than Andrew Luck's at his craft. Is she? Wow. This this is actually... You're catching me off guard. Last week you were talking about how much you like Taylor Swift. Nicki Minaj is a bridge too far well, look, for me. Andrew. I liked Nicki Minaj when she was a rapper, but she's made like this weird bubblegum pop transition over the last four or five years look, that I can't really get So behind. here's the thing with Nicki Minaj. She is like the walking, rapping embodiment of the Giannis Freak t-shirt, right? Where you just, you can't really do it in public. Like I can't walk around. <laughs> <laughs> rapping Nicki Minaj verses in public. This is completely inappropriate. Elizabeth and her family would not approve. Um, I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't. how good was Andrew Luck? I don't follow the NFL. Doesn't well, feel like he was that good. And when you're talking about female MCs of all time, like Nicki Minaj is on the list, very high. Okay. Now that I'm thinking about this, sorry, I'm just wrapping my head around uh, this look, bombshell Nicki I understand. Minaj. I, I blindsided <laughs> you with one of you know America's biggest pop cultural events. Um the luck news is a much bigger deal because Nicki Minaj, like I feel like artists retire and unretire all the time. So she can retire and then 18 months from now be like, I'm dropping a new album. I'm coming back to music. I couldn't leave it behind. And I'm going on tour 200 cities. I'm going to go make $50 million. Luck. I don't know if he's going to come back. There There are now people who think that two years from now, He's going to come back and try to play for the Colts. But I think it's more likely that he's just kind of done for good at this point. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and obviously there's no real financial repercussions. Like she's not leaving like guaranteed contracts on the table to retire. Right. So, uh, I guess the luck one is a bigger deal. I was more describing legacy standpoint. Uh, you know, who would you rather have Andrew Luck as a QB or Nicki Minaj as a rapper? But that might be a little too convoluted for our limited pop culture knowledge. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you saw Tom Ziller at SB Nation. He floated Blake Griffin as an answer to this question. Um, oh, that's a good, that's a good the reason why I loved it. And someone brought this up to me recently. It's not just the quantity of injuries that Blake Griffin's had. It's like the timing of his injuries. Like he always, like, he's like that car that breaks down right at your, the end of, or like right as soon as your warranty expires, he goes down. It's like every April, April, right on cue, Blake Griffin's hurt as soon as the playoffs start, or he gets hurt immediately once the playoffs happen. And it's happened like five, you know, or six times over the years. At some point, that's the type of thing that would just leave you so frustrated that you would just be like, you know what, I want to go pursue like a stand-up comedy career. And like Blake actually has options. Like he could be in movies. Exactly. So yeah. uh, to me, I, that was a really smart, um, you know, call by, by Ziller. Yeah. Well, and it's funny with NBA players too, because like talking through the luck thing, you say, okay, so he's made a lot of money. He's made like, 50 to, to some, between 50 and 100 million dollars. Blake Griffin has made a lot of money at this point in his career. And uh, and again, like you say, he's got a lot of interests outside of basketball and, and could probably go lead a really cool life after basketball. So it would make sense if he's like banging his head against the wall in Detroit after the next few years and says, look, I'm just done. I think it's actually probably more likely that we're going to see Blake finish out this contract in Detroit and then try to go take less money and join a contender and and try to help out that way uh, and finish his career that way. I think that would be really cool because I think Blake right now is better than he gets credit for, but his, his contract is so gigantic that it's hard to divorce that from like his value in the NBA and it would be cool to see him play on like a discount deal and play meaningful basketball as he closes things out. I'm now picturing Blake Griffin's like tearful retirement press conference, sort of like Andrew Luck, where he's like choking back the emotion and trying to power through it. And like the only words that he can get out of his mouth are, what do you expect from me? I had to play with Root Canal Reggie for the last three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to make this too much of like a Detroit hate session uh, as far as like the other guys he's been stuck with out there. But it, maybe that's part of it. Um, I, did, did Ziller mention that in his column? I, I don't remember specifically, uh, but look, I mean, the Detroit experience is not the LA experience. I think that's pretty self-evident and you're right on the money. Like there's going to be a, a third chapter for Blake. Um, I'm looking, I personally, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm with you on that one. All right. Well, we'll close out with two more questions. The first is from Sean, who's a Lakers fan in Oregon, in Portland. He writes, Oregon has all white, has this all-white license plate that has the Trailblazers logo and TB on the plate with some red-black hits. If I put one of these to match my red car, is that spineless? Does it make me a turncoat? Ben, if you, uh, I mean, you're the Portland resident. What do you think here? Not a resident anymore, but certainly, uh, you know, in a past life, I was. You're you, look. You're a son of Oregon, as far no as no question. Concerned. You and Danny. Ainge. Look, as Taylor says, I love my hometown as much as Motown. Okay, now I'll say this. <laughs> <laughs> 
you can't do this, Sean, because you called yourself a Lakers fan. If you do this, if you put a Trailblazers license plate on your car, you're now a Trailblazers fan. So if you're ready to take that step, if you're ready to convert, if you're ready to leave your roots behind you and become a new man, and arguably in this case, a better man, certainly one with a, you know, a more color-coordinated automobile, then go for it. If yeah. you're still a Lakers fan, you can't do it. You're a traitor, period. No, it's almost inconceivable that we're even having this discussion. It, like, I wouldn't put a Sixers license plate on my car, even if I lived in Philadelphia and the state of Pennsylvania was issuing, like, trust the process license plates. And I, I he also grew up in Corvallis, Oregon, so, and said he's a Lakers right. so he fan. Never, he, I don't know how that happened. He never either. should have been a Lakers fan in the first place. I think that's, like, right off the top. Um, but, yeah, no, Sean, you got some issues to sort out here, buddy. Like... It's sort of like you're trying to do a sister wives thing <laughs> with your sports teams. Too much. Pick one. Well, and especially now. Look, the Blazers may take a step back this year, and the Lakers may be really, really good. Um, although, as we said at the top, the Lakers are the weirdest team in the entire NBA. But now is not the time to start dra- jumping off the bandwagon or jeopardizing your fandom in any way. Stay strong. Get a Lakers flag, although that no, in, no, 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 Portland, no, no, bad idea. You could actually have people vandalizing your car. Yeah, in that I was going to say like that's also a part of the deal here. There's a lot of people moving from California to Oregon, and it creates a lot of uh, you know resistance or resentment um, in Portland. Uh-huh. Uh, I've actually been in a situation where I was driving a U-Haul truck for somebody that happened to have California plates, and I got like verbally assaulted in the middle of a street in Northeast Portland. It was like I was thinking it could have. <laughs> it was like pretty close to a fight you know what i mean like it wasn't great and i was not trying to be a part of it i was trying to just get out and you know it was that level of a, uh you know a forceful interaction so from that standpoint sean like if you're doing it for your own personal safety like you feel like you're gonna you know get, catch less hate you know then maybe yeah. it's like slightly understandable but i think you should just be a blazers fan bro oh wow i, I don't know about that look you're a fan of you own your Lakers fandom. No, I'm not telling I'm you saying, to not be a Lakers. Have you ever fan. been to Corvallis? Corvallis is a hike. Uh, it's a hike, man. It's not easy to get to Corvallis. And Corvallis is if you were gonna compare cities and you had an entire chart uh-huh. and you put LA on one side, Corvallis is on the far <laughs> other side, like right over there with like Reykjavik, Iceland, and like, you know, some small town place in Indiana. And this is no dis- disrespect to Corvallis. But, you know, it's a it's a farm town. It's a small community, rural community. You go there for agricultural school and engineers, you know, love it because it's a quiet and great place to, you know, drop some code. Like, come on, man. They're known for bad football and the cows, okay? That's nothing yeah. to do with the Lakers. Nothing. Well, you know what I was thinking about? And we're now in hour two of a recording session because we're recording this in advance. Uh but as you were talking, I was thinking about their football team when they had Chad Johnson. And then I thought back to Chad Johnson's junior college where he was teammates with Steve Smith and I think another NFL legend and how I'd always wanted to write a piece on that like junior college experience. Uh, and that was in L.A., not Corvallis. Yeah. But that piece would be titled Duffel Bag Boys. <laughs> yeah exactly i'm sure it was a legendary time a legendary year there in in la uh but anyways one day i want to make it to a a portland trailblazers basketball game somehow i've never done that and i need to put that on my bucket list for 2019 and 2020 but 
last question here. Thor says, when will the next lantern be posted? Mm, mm. I need some life advice from Sharp. I'm an avid jersey collector, well on my way to owning a jersey from all 30 NBA teams, plus a bunch of soccer jerseys too. My partner doesn't understand how I'd ever wear a sports jersey outside of being a fan at a stadium and doesn't even like it when I play pickup basketball in my Barkley Suns, Miami Vice Wade jersey, or Sharp's beloved Arenas jersey. As a fellow jersey junkie, what advice can Andrew give me in terms of how to convince her that wearing jerseys, especially throwbacks, is actually cool? So, Ben, I don't know. I'll let you start. Do you have any thoughts here? I have here? so many takes. This is, by the way, Thor from Iceland. Thor, I did a little research on your Instagram to just kind of get a vibe for your relationship with your girlfriend and get a vibe for your personal style and everything. I think that's important here. But, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. You're basically confessing to stalking him in advance of answering this that's question. That's your word, not my word. Okay. Uh, I think you can agree with me. They're pretty young. I would say that they're, you know, probably 21 or under in this conversation. Okay. I think an important first step is that Thor from Iceland needs to sit his girlfriend down and they just need to just bang out every fabulous music video, every Joel Santana music video from like the early 2000s, late 90s era. That's just mandatory viewing. Like, I just think that you need to treat it like it's a driver's test where you just have to watch that screen for two hours. You need to make sure she's getting all of that culture to really reframe this conversation around throwback jerseys. Would you agree? Yes. I mean, it's a really complicated question, though, because we were 19 when, like, Fabulous was filming music videos and Dipset wore jerseys and everything. And so, like, it was cool to wear jerseys at that point in our lives. That just so happened to coincide with us being, like, 19 and 20. Um, now I don't know if it's still cool to wear jerseys, but I, I'm with you that like, either way he needs to sit down and force his girlfriend to watch like five fabulous videos with him just for just on principle, he should do it. And just because that's a hilarious scene to imagine a a couple in Iceland watching fabulous, like breathe videos. Bottom line, it's self-improvement and self-care. All right. You're going to need to have, you need to have this (laughs) information, this knowledge as a background. Now, Thor, I don't want to turn this into like a super personal thing, but I think part of the reason why she doesn't want you wearing the jerseys in public, it's a complexion issue, okay? And I completely understand because right now I've got the craziest farmer tan, you know, from like my elbow down, I look like I live in Barbados and from my like shoulder to my elbow, I look like I live in like St. Cloud, Minnesota. So you can't really wear a basketball jersey if that's what you're dealing with. And look, no disrespect, Iceland, you know, I'm not sure how the tan's really going to work for you. So I think you have to go back to the idea of wearing the long sleeve shirt under the jersey as part of the complete outfit to kind of compromise with your girlfriend. Because I think that she's just worried about a little too much white flesh in public. That's that's all I'm trying to say this delicately. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? Are you talking about like basketball jerseys? Yeah, like he wants to wear these basketball jerseys in public and she's resistant. And my... My assumption is she's resistant because although Thor, as you would expect, has like pretty, you know, respectable sized biceps, it's just a little pasty, Andrew. That's all, you know, and I don't think it's unavoidable. Like you're going to be, if you live in Iceland, you're going to be very, very light skin. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's a good point. Um, and I, I don't and know how he resolves thing. that. Like, I don't want to tell him to go fake tan. He's going to get cancer. I don't even know, like, if that would be, you know, functional. <laughs> I understand where she is coming from because it is kind of a bad look to be walking around with untanned biceps and a, and a basketball jersey in public, right? Yeah, it's not a good look. But here's, I have two answers here. Number one, Ben is correct that ultimately where you, and it depends on where you are. If you're 19, then just wear jerseys. Boom. None of it matters. Boom. Love uh, it. But it, you're going to get older and find that fighting the jersey battle is a losing battle, unfortunately. And I will still wear jerseys occasionally when I'm like hanging out around my house. Just because, and I still have the jerseys because it just they make me happy, and uh, I'm an idiot. I refuse to grow up in that respect, but I have transitioned to realizing that like you probably shouldn't wear jerseys in public. I don't even really wear them at sporting events either. Um, playing basketball, if you want to play pickup basketball in your Barkley Suns jersey or Miami Vice Wade jersey, absolutely do that. Um, the other answer, and this again, we might be treading toward like a little too personal, but like if in fact you are 20 years old and you're, you love wearing your jerseys and your girlfriend is saying, stop wearing these jerseys. I don't want to be seen in public with you wearing these jerseys. Maybe the problem isn't the jerseys and you need to have a talk with the girlfriend and be like, look, Break up with her. I want to wear my jerseys. <laughs> Thor, I, look, here's your advice. Are you, you going to get married? I don't know. It's an early early relationship. Um, but no, I, I think either way, you're going to eventually lose that battle. So make peace with that and then just, you know, wear the jerseys hanging out. The fact that he's in Iceland is also a little bit more complicating because... Uh, like a jersey, if I'm wearing a Bucks jersey on the east coast of the United States, it's not that cool. But like a Bucks jersey in Iceland would probably be a lot cooler, and it's more of a statement. So, For sure. uh, so maybe Dude. he can stretch this out a bit, a little it's bit. It's an identity. He's the jersey guy in Iceland. It's not like there's going to be another jersey yeah. guy in Iceland. I think roll with it, Thor. I, I can't believe your doctor knockboot advice here is to break up the relationship. Just incredible. <laughs> but can I, uh, I can yeah. I go back to the interpersonal dynamic between him and his girlfriend here, real quick? Thor, one thing you really uh-huh. need to dissect: is she mad because you're wearing the jerseys? Is she mad because you're buying the jerseys? Because if you've got a collection of 30 jerseys, if you've got a mm. collection of 30 Jordans, <laughs> if you've got a collection of all these different posters you're buying off eBay that are expensive or basketball cards or whatever it is, the message to her is that's what you really love and she's just along for the ride. So you have to flip that dynamic. That doesn't mean you have to go buy her a Louis bag every time you go get that Gilbert Arenas jersey, but it needs to be a little bit of, of a balance. You know what I mean, Andrew? Like take her out to a nice dinner, Maybe don't wear the jersey at the nice dinner, but make sure she's feeling feeling yeah. the love too. That's all. That's definitely a more constructive way to solve it. Just start showering her with gifts and buying her affection even when you're wearing jerseys. <laughs> and uh, you can both win, you know? As long as you sit through 30 minutes of fabulous videos from like 2001 to 2006. Then you're set. Bottom line, uh, Thor. On that please, note, Thor ben. should check back in with us in six months to tell us how this happened, but not until he watched those videos. And Andrew, you can agree with me right now. This is why people love the Lantern. What a heater segment that was. That's right. You know, I, I really do. I want an update from Thor. Whenever, give us give us a couple months and and try to implement some of our 
strategies and advice and uh, let us know how things are going. And you were saying about but the until for then. sure until then. But look, you were saying about the timelessness of wearing jerseys. I don't know, Andrew, if you had the long sleeve white shirt with the jersey jeans and Tim's, I think you can be wearing that until the 24th century. Like, I don't know how that's ever not going to be cool. Am I am I stuck? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> look, I think I'm I've made peace with the idea that I may have a midlife crisis somewhere in the middle of my 40s and start wearing jerseys all the time and just become that guy that creepy old Perfect. guy uh but for right now i'm trying to sort of keep it together keep it a little bit more mature than the jerseys in public but maybe i will become that jersey in tins until guy. that time i cannot wait andrew our listeners they can email us openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com we got heaters from seven sean Thor, you guys have a high standard to live up to. Those guys just you know, knocked it out of the park. So keep those questions coming. Also, we're on Apple Podcasts. You can find our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Once you get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars there. It's just that simple. It really helps us spread the word. I'm also on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. Andrew's on Instagram, but he never posts. And I'm going to keep shaming him until he does. <laughs> hey, Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.